The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I'm so thankful you're here with us this morning. Each week we move one week closer to Christmas. Each week in Advent, we work one more week looking at, like I, like I mentioned earlier, one more aspect of the Advent season. Uh, we started with hope. Last week, we looked at peace. And in this week, we continue on with, with joy. I'm going to say this up front, church. Um, this might look different than what you're thinking. It's going to look like this morning. Um, I will say this is just pastorally. This wasn't really direction that I thought I would be going with a message of joy. Um, having said that, though, God's been working, and um, I'm excited for this morning. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, would you grab them? Would you open with me uh, to First Peter? And we're going to be in chapter one of First Peter. And uh, while you're getting there, just kind of as we set the stage here a little bit, um, in each of the weeks of Advent, each of these weeks, there is a worldly counterfeit to each of the things that we've looked, uh, a worldly counterfeit to each of the things we've looked at. Uh, we started, in, in other words, for, for, for hope, for peace, for, uh, for love, for joy, all of these things, the world is familiar with them. Um, they have their versions of them. We saw it with hope. There's a worldly hope. And we, we talked about worldly hope is grounded in kind of a self-reliant hope. It's in our own strengths and our own abilities, um, in, in what we can accomplish and what we can control. But as we saw, the hope that Jesus offers is so much different. So much different than that. It's beyond us. And, and I want to push on this because the enemy, as we talked about, would want nothing more than for you to only know the counterfeit and for you to never know the true hope that is beyond ourselves. We looked at peace. The same thing is with peace, by the way. We, as the, so the world, we're familiar with peace, the idea of peace. We love, we crave it. We want inner peace, outer peace, world peace. We want it all. We want peace. And, and the, we, the world offers its version of this, but as we saw last week, it's not complete. It's not full, and, and there continues to be division and turmoil all over. But as we talked about last week, Christ comes and he offers true peace and a peace that's never going to fade, a peace that we have now and will be realized even more later. We talked about that. Oh, and by the way, just like hope, the enemy would want nothing more than for you to never know the peace beyond the peace that the world offers you, to just settle with the counterfeit. The, world, the, the, the enemy would want nothing more than for you to not know the peace that Jesus offers that surpasses all understanding. Church, as we turn now to joy, the same is true for joy. We're going to see the same reality. The world has a different understanding of joy. And I will propose the world's obsessed with it. 
just obsessed with it. Um, cannot get enough. But this morning, I want us to talk about true joy, biblical joy, honest joy. Um, I say joy, by the way, and, and as I say it, it feels a little bit like a dated word. Does it not? I mean, when you, when, when you, when so many hear the word joy, chances are you think of Christmas, or you think of a Christmas carol, or you think of churchiness. Not a word, you know what I mean. But it's this out there kind of dated idea. It, the truth is we don't use the word joy very much in our daily lives. Um, but we really love other words like happiness. We talk about that all the time. So even though, uh, the reason I say this is because even though we don't use the word joy all that often, we still all long for it. We long for it. And joy is one of those words that's really hard to describe. Even though we want it, it's really hard to put our finger on what it is. Um, joy is this deep, deep, it involves our, our inner being, our mind, and our heart and emotions. It's not something we just know about up here cognitively. It's something we feel. It's something we know down deep. It's this deep and penetrating gladness. It's in our soul. By the way, it's something that scripture talks about all over the place. You see words like joy or rejoicing. You see this all over the place in scripture in both the Old and the New Testament. And the thing I want to propose to us before we pray and dig in is that joy is one of the primary markers of the Christian life. It is a distinctive. It is something that Christians are known for or recognized for. Christians are joyful, joyous um, people. But, church, it doesn't always look the way worldly ideas of happiness look. There's an old song. Kids, you might have to help your, your parents with this one. There's this old song. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Right? Some of you know that part. Um, it's peppy, it's fun, we sing it, we love it. How many know, though, as great as this song is, sometimes life feels like that, but so often, that is not what life feels like, and so often, that is not what joy feels like. Now, yes, there are times, like I said, when it does feel like this, when we are bubbly, when we just want to bubble around and let the joy, joy, joy just flow all over everyone, and we love it. The, praise God for those times. They're awesome, um, where we just want to bounce around. Those times are great, but the joy that the Bible calls us to is deeper than that, more lasting than that. I will say more honest than that. And although this uh, message is probably going to be a little different than what you expected this morning, I pray that you'll hang with me uh, because this morning I want to talk about that true, biblical, honest, lasting joy. So having said that, um, I'd love for us to just, before we get to 1 Peter, to just come to the Lord in prayer. So would you pray with me, church? God, I thank you for this morning together, for Advent. 
I don't think there has ever been a year that I have needed the Advent season more than this. I thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for true, lasting hope, peace, love, and as we will see this morning, joy. You have not brought us here by accident or chance. I believe that whether we are in this room, whether you are watching this or listening to this online, you are not here by accident. And for all of my brothers and sisters, we need your joy. In and through all the things that we face, we need your joy. So God, would you speak to us this morning through your word? And Lord, it is, it is such a privilege to be here around your word this morning. And I just pray that you would bless it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, church. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 1 together. Um, the word that came to my mind for all of this morning is the word reframe. I think this morning is a reframing morning for the way we think of joy. And this text that we're about to read is simple, it is straightforward, but it's going to help us reframe a couple things that I think are vital, that have been vital for me, and that are vital for me. Um, starting in the beginning, um, just to kind of give us some context for where we are uh, going to dive into, Peter was writing this letter to a church that had been scattered all throughout the, the world, the known world. Uh, in fact, at the beginning, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, names all these places. The point is this, they were scattered. They were scattered out. They were facing persecution. They were facing oppression. It was racial oppression. It was more than that, though. It was those who were being racially oppressed were also being oppressed for their beliefs, what they believed. They were being oppressed and persecuted because of their belief in the gospel. They were being oppressed because of Jesus. If I could just wrap this up, things were not as they should be. Things were not as they should be. Church, have you been there? <laughs> Things are not as they should be. There's a, there's a pretty good chance that you, you haven't been driven out by a political movement or been made as a religious refugee. I understand that. But would you, I, I would imagine that most of you could just right where you are kind of think about and know exactly what it feels like to just be dealt with the reality that this is not the way it should be. Life should be different than this. Even some know what it's like to get hurt or persecuted. Some of you know what it feels like to be persecuted because of your faith. Um, on the basis of what you believe. Not only is it a possibility here in our community in 2020 for that to happen. Uh, sadly, it's becoming a probability that that will happen. Some of you know what that feels like. But the, 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 the fact is... For most of us, we, let's be honest, for all of us, we know what it's like to live in a world that isn't the way it should be, that things are just not the way they should be. And it's in this, in this moment that Peter brings some encouragement. Peter gives them this reminder, and let's listen to this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power 
are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. As I said, this is kind of setting us up, so I don't want to get too in here, but what Peter is doing here is right in the midst of their trial and struggle, he is reminding them of the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who they are, the truth of their salvation from sin through Jesus Christ, and it's here that we get to our text this morning. Our text this morning starts right out of this, and in verse 6 says this, in this... What is that this? What is that word this? Well, that's what Peter just talked about. It's the reminder he just gave of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So in this, in this gospel, in what I just told you, he says this, in this you, what? Rejoice. That is the verb of joy. That is joying. It's expressing joy. It is, it is, um, being joyful and acknowledging that joy openly. So he says, rejoice even in your present circumstance. Show your joy even in the trial and the struggle that you are facing. Rejoice in the gospel. Remember the gospel. Rejoice. And it brings us to our first truth here about joy. And that is this, that true biblical and honest joy has a different source than the world's understanding of happiness. In other words, joy, on the one hand, is not found when, from circumstances out there, when everything is okay, when, when things are all good out there, then I'm going to have joy. That's not what it says. And in, in, for Peter in this text, things were not good. Things were not as they should be. The source, source of true joy is not found out there in circumstances. On the one hand, it's also, church, by the way, not found in here. It's not found when we just work real hard to get it. When we just uh, fake it till we make it. Joy, joy, joy. Be joyful, be joyful, be joyful. That's not, that's not what is put before us here. The source of true joy can't come from out there in our circumstances. It also can't come from in here just with us trying real hard. Um, I don't know if you know this or not. I made reference to this, but happiness right now is a really big deal in our culture. Uh, really big deal. It, it, it's selling right now really well. So the pursuit of happiness. We have uh, popular best-selling books, podcasts. You search it. They're, they're everywhere. Um, even prestigious kind of college courses are dedicated to happiness um, Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Happiness is a big deal. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. I don't want you to hear me wrong. The question, though, is what are you driving your happiness from? Like, where is that source coming from? In, in, in this, by the way, I really believe that joy is one of the most significantly missed aspects of the gospel, I think without realizing it, what we can do sometimes is say, hey, Christianity, what it is, is you come to Jesus with all the things that make you happy, and you give them up, and then he gives you rules and restrictions, come to Jesus. But it's worth it later when you get to heaven. But come to Jesus. You give him happiness, and you get rules, but you get Jesus later. I got to tell you, in no way does that square with Scripture, In no way does that kind of life square with Scripture. What the gospel does is it's an invitation for you to bring 
the lesser things in exchange for the greater things. It's a call to say, hey, put down the lesser things and take on the greatest thing. The, the gospel is an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to know it. It's an exchange for lesser sources of fleeting happiness for deep lasting joy. True, biblical, honest joy is not found in ourselves trying real hard. It's not found in our circumstances, whether they be pleasant or not. True, biblical, honest joy is found in Jesus. Its source is Jesus, and it's found in anchoring ourselves in what Peter just put before us, the gospel, anchoring ourselves in that. This is why Peter says, in this rejoice. He does not stop here. I want to continue in laying some groundwork, and then we're going to kind of, we're going to have a moment of honesty as we, as we work through this. Um, Peter continues, and he says, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, for a moment, uh, there's a lot packed in here, by the way, um, but I want to pick out some just really important things. Um, the phrase for a little while. Can we talk about this one? Uh, as I said this morning, my, the whole word that keeps coming to my mind is reframing joy. It's reframing the way we think about it. And this for a little while is a big phrase. If you look at it, as we think about life and joy and trials, I'd like to help us flip everything upside down for a second where we start reframing joy a little bit, and we start to see how biblical joy looks a little different than worldly ideas of happiness. See, happiness in the world's kind of view of it is a bit fickle. It comes and it goes. It's here and then it's gone. It's, it's a bit fickle. And, and, and by the way, I, there's nothing wrong with that. It's part of being a, a human it's part of what Ecclesiastes says. There's a season for all things. There's a season to dance and to sing, and there's a season to weep and mourn. There's a time for all things, Scripture says. There's a, there's a time for all things, and seasons come and they go. It's part of being human. So as the world thinks about happiness, though, happiness is the thing. And I want you to follow me here. Going back to Peter's word choices here. Happiness is the thing that is, quote unquote, for a little while. The worldly idea of happiness is for a little while. Happiness is the thing that we experience for a brief moment, and then it passes, and it leaves, and another season comes, and life continues. That's the world's understanding of happiness. Apart from Jesus, happiness is the thing that is for a little while. But church, don't miss this, because in Christ, our understanding of joy calls for a complete reframing. Notice what Peter says here. It's not the joy, it's not the happiness that's for a little while. What is it? It's the grief 
It's the trials that are but for a little while. Joy is reframed. And our natural operating system gets a bit turned upside down. The trials and the struggles of life are the things that are for a little while. And more than that, each and every one of them that you face, every struggle, every grief, according to Scripture, has a very specific purpose. We're not aimlessly kind of bouncing around from one trial to another. Our default condition through the gospel of Jesus is joy, and for a brief moment, for a little while, we face certain trials and struggles. And what do we do? What do we do when this happens? Well, we know that it is for a specific purpose, and what is that specific purpose? We just read it, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's what it is. It's a test. And some of you think, well, that stinks. I hate tests. But I want us to get our, wrap our minds around what kind of test this is, this is and what is being talked about here. Tests are terrible, but I, I don't want you to miss this. The test is not so that God can throw you into the fire so that he can figure out whether you're genuine or not. The test is not for God. The test is not to say, you know, Johnny, I don't know if you've got it. So here's some fire. Let's see if he's got it. The test is not for God to figure out whether you're good or bad. He's not like the teacher who gives out tests to the class trying to figure out which student was lazy, didn't study, didn't listen, and didn't come prepared. We're going to find out. Here's a test to prove it. That's not what is here. In fact, God does not need to test you to know you. He knows you and he knows you perfectly. He is sovereign and the test is not for him. The test is for you. For you to know the genuineness of your faith. The test is not for the teacher. It's for the student to know. I don't know about you, but have you ever prayed, God, would you grow my faith? Have you ever thought, God, would you show me That my faith is real and not just an act. Would you show me that? Would you show me the genuineness of my faith, God? Would you show me? Have you ever prayed that? Church, the way that we are able to know the strength of our faith is through the trials that you and I face. I know that is not a very popular message. But if we want to have golden and precious faith, If we want to know that our faith is pure and strong and durable, then our God in his grace uses fire to refine us so that on the other side, we are then able to look back and praise and glorify God all the more. Here's what we've seen so far. True biblical honest joy is found in Jesus. It's eternal while the trials are fleeting and are for his glory and our good. Now I want to shift to the hardest part. I said I wanted to kind of get real for a little bit. I want to share the reason why God has drawn me to this text this morning. 
what I've been wrestling with. The hardest part of true, biblical, and honest joy in Jesus is faith when you can't see. Faith when you can't see. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And what? And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Remember, church, the the source of true, biblical, honest joy is Jesus. And yet Peter says, in the midst of this trial, you don't see him. You love him, you don't see him. In this trial, in this struggle, in this grief, Peter says, you do not see him. You love him. You believe in him. But you do not see him. Church, the source of true joy is Jesus, and knowing that joy, having that joy, experiencing that joy is only through faith. Faith is not seeing. It is loving and believing in him who is unseen until that day when we do see him face to face. Joy is only in Christ through faith, and this is how we are able to have joy to express joy, as Peter says, and I love this, in a way that's inexpressible. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced inexpressible joy? If so, by definition, I know you can't express it. And that's so beautiful, because I think so many of us know what that feels like, what that, what that, what that is. And, and Peter is writing to a church, I don't want us to miss this, who are in a difficult time, when they're going through difficult things and there is no good answer, there is no easy way out. And many of us are here right now and things are not the way they should be. We face discouragement on levels we haven't faced collectively ever in my lifetime. We face trials and, and, and this is true on so many different levels of our lives. I think about on just the personal level where we are facing right now as, as a people so many different things like loneliness and isolation and anxiety, depression, stress. As a community, as a nation, we are facing so many different things like uncertainty and division. And and by the way, even as a church, as the church, even as the church, this is such an extremely difficult time. We're facing some incredibly difficult things right now. I'm not going to fake it this morning and and, uh, stand up here and not express that this morning I stand side by side with all of the pastors that I know in my life who mourn for their churches. Who mourn as they know that their, their church community is just not complete. There's a grieving right now that we miss those that we cannot yet see. And let me tell you, I, 
I loved seminary. It prepared me well. I loved what it did, but oh man, there's no way. There's no way. No way that I could have been prepared for what 2020 has brought pastorally. Collectively, this has been a difficult year. And I want to zoom out for a little bit. Would you let me? So you think about this year, I want to zoom out a little bit because this is not the first difficult year that the people of God have endured. We're here in an Advent season and we are reminded that of 2,000 years ago, and let me just tell you, the people of God were not in a pleasant season 2,000 years ago. They were in a difficult time. There was persecution, there was struggles, and the worst part of all, God was silent. I mean, if you think about it, God called his people through Abraham and led them through Moses and led his people through the judges and the kings and even spoke to his people directly in miracles through the prophets and then crickets. Not a day or a week of it over 400 years where there was no more prophet. And it was quiet. And in this moment, God, where are you? God, this is not the way it should be. And where are you? I can't hear you. I can't see you. It was dark and they had every reason to lose hope. But how many know it's moments like this that faith is difficult. Going back to our verse, so Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you believe in him. Church, the people of God, as they sat there in silence, they were not seeing. They were waiting, they were hoping, they were believing. And this is the essence of faith. And this, it's about us believing when we are not yet able to see. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. You rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. And as we know, as we celebrate this season, it was right here in the midst of the darkness that the light of the world came and broke the silence. Advent this season, church, reminds us, I need you to hear me, that God is in control even when we cannot see Advent reminds us that Jesus came, Jesus is in control, and Jesus is coming again. Jesus came, he's in control, he's coming again. And though we do not see him face to face, yet we believe. We, and because we believe, we have joy and we have the ability as the people of God to rejoice. I asked earlier, I'm going to do something weird here, forgive me, um, I asked earlier if you knew the song, I got the joy, 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 all right, some of you are singing it, I love it, I love it, I'm going to hopefully not ruin that song for you right now. Um, we talked about the fact that often life doesn't resemble the peppiness of that song. Well, I, uh, I came across a song the other day. And uh, I really debated whether or not to play it for you. In fact, it's really weird for me to ever do this. I don't think I have ever played a music clip in a sermon ever. 
before in my life. So it's Advent, so oh well, we're doing it, all right? We're going to do it. I believe that art can express things that is often so much deeper than words. I came across this song, I'm not going to lie, many of you are going to absolutely hate it. I'm going to play this and some of you are just going to start laughing at me. I get it. Hang with me, all right? Because there's something here. You know this song. Probably not this version of it, okay? So let's take a listen. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. What did you guys think? Should be on our Christmas playlist. How many of you hated it? I, I don't blame you. Don't blame me on that one. Um, listen, this song was recorded by an artist right out of tragedy. Um, she was broken. She wrote this song because she knew the right words. She knew what she believed and she knew the truth. Yet that how she felt was a little different. How she felt is represented by the tempo of this song. How she felt is represented by the minor chords that were used in this song. This church was truth sang through pain. She sang the truth she knew through the pain that she felt. She sang the truth she knew through the pain that she felt. This is truth saying in faith when you cannot see. But you believe. Later she goes on. I, I stopped the song early. If you want to listen to the whole thing, um, find me. I'd gladly direct you. But in the, later in the song, she has a line in here that says, When I can't understand and I can't even pretend that this will be all right in the end. I'll try my best to lift up my chest so that I can sing about the joy, joy, joy that I know. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but the, the juxtaposition of this song is just crazy and a bit ridiculous and absurd. But it is powerfully true to life, is not? It is powerfully true to what life so often is for anyone who has been through pain and trial you can relate to this. At times, we can think that as Christians, we need to be happy all the time. At times, we can think that as Christians, we need to have it all together all the time. 
As a pastor, I've actually, I can think of people by name who I know who have run from the church for a season because of their sadness and they just couldn't come and pretend that they were okay. So they chose to run away instead until they could get it together and then they would come back. Some of you may have done that. The church, the Christian life is not about being happy all the time. In fact, I'd argue that that's not healthy. The Christian life is not about a life that never goes through trials and never struggles or never endures pain. The Christian life is not even the life that somehow transcends above the pain and you're immune from it and you can navigate through it without feeling it. The Christian life also does not call you to fake it until you make it. The Christian life does not call you to put on the good face so that you're not a hypocrite. The Christian life does not call you to get all your stuff together so that when you come and you see people who follow Jesus, that you can show them that life is good. In fact, I I would argue it's in some ways the opposite, that the Christian life is a life marked with true Christian joy. That through the trials and the struggles, through the things that do not make sense, we know that we are not abandoned. That we are being refined for his glory and our good. That the Christian life is marked by Christian joy that although we do not see yet, we believe. Although we do not see him yet face to face, we believe him and know that he is at work. Christian life is a life that is marked by Christian joy because the Christian life is a life lived in faith to Jesus. And because this is true, I want to propose to you that joy in the Christian life is not just found in the major chords. It is not just found in the the peppy major chords, but in the minors as well. It's not just found in the ease, but in the trials. It's it's not just found when we feel like we're in control, but when we cannot see. Joy, true, biblical, honest joy is in Jesus alone, through faith alone. And this faith is believing when we cannot see, and it transcends all the circumstances that you and I face, or that we will face tomorrow. And therefore, I want you to think about this with me. Because this is true, we are able to sing and rejoice with David. If you remember those crazy texts in scripture where he dances like no one can see him. Clothes are optional for David when he did this, by the way. It's crazy. Just dancing like like no tomorrow and no one can see because the joy that is just exploding out of him. And he's just singing and dancing and losing it with joy and laughter. We can relate to him. We can sing that joyous song with him. And at the same time, we're also able to sing with David later. As he cries out, how long, O Lord, have you forgotten me? How long, O Lord, are you going to leave me here? See, true Christian joy is sung through the major chords and the minors of our life. So here's my challenge for us today. Here's my challenge. As you and I, as we see the word joy, as we think of the word joy this Advent season, 
I don't want you to think about the surface level stuff. I don't want you to think about that temporary happiness version that the world says, here, take that. This is good enough. Don't think about that. As you and I, as we, as we see the word joy, instead, what I want to encourage us to do is to think about joy as the deep, permeating gladness that's not based on what we are going through, but based on who we know and who we believe in, based in faith. And I want you to hear me. There will come a day when, when, when faith will, in fact, turn to sight. When that fullness of joy will be, will be realized. And in fact, at the end of our Bibles, at the very end, um, God has graciously told us how everything's going to come to a close. If you remember, it says, hey, there's going to be a time when there's no more mourning. There's no more weeping. There's no more pain. There's no more sadness or tears or sorrows or sickness. There's no more masks because there's no more viruses. There's not even death anymore. That day's coming. When we see Jesus face to face, our faith will become sight and the joy we know in our hearts will be the eternal reality that we now get to experience. But until that day, I will come back to the simple truth of our text that says Christian joy is in Christ alone through faith alone. And if you do not know him, if you do not know that joy, I want to extend to you the invitation that God gives you through his word that says come to him through Jesus and respond in faith to him for what he has done. Trust in him for your salvation. Trust in the one that you cannot see yet and trust that one day you will. And scripture says that as you do that, as you respond in faith, that you are saved. You are saved. And and before we respond together in worship and song, um, I'd love for us just in this moment to respond in prayer. Right where you are, would would you just join me in prayer this morning? God, we um, rest in this moment. We acknowledge we do not have all the answers. We do not know how this will end. We acknowledge that things are not as they should be. We acknowledge that we walk through pain, that we walk through hurt. We acknowledge that for many of us we are hurting. And we are grateful that our Christian faith does not call us to deny it. To pretend like everything is okay. We are grateful that our Christian faith does not require us to fake it. We acknowledge and we are grateful for the fact that our Christian faith does not require as a necessity for everything to be going well for it to make sense. We acknowledge that and we're grateful for that because we are here, brothers and sisters, we are here as your people and we walk through life. And many of us are walking through a difficult time right now. And I am grateful as a preacher to be able to preach joy this morning. 
to my brothers and sisters, and to my own heart. True joy is in you, in Christ alone, through faith alone. So I, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now who are believing, although we do not see, who love you, although we cannot see yet. I pray that you would be our comfort and that you would use these moments as a way to test us, not for you, but for us to know that the genuineness of our faith, as your word says, and in this way that it will be for our good and that we will turn and glorify you all the more. And God, I also pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who, and who are listening, who are hurting right now, that you would comfort them and show them it is for a little while. There's a lot of, a lot of comfort in those words. For a little while. And God, also for those who are hearing this, who do not yet know the joy, do not yet know and have responded yet to the gospel, I pray that you in this moment through your spirit will do a work on their hearts. We're not talking about some hocus pocus religious hoop that we're trying to jump through. This morning we are talking about the true, the truth and, and salvation that we can know you, that we can walk with you, and that through no matter what we face, that you will hold us fast. And so, Lord, we are grateful. We respond and we continue to respond this morning. In Jesus' name.